And welcome back. This is Daily Buddhism Audio Show number 61, recorded April 21st, 2013. My name is Brian Shell, and I'm your host for the show. You can find the text as well as all the links mentioned in this program and all past episodes on the website at www.dailybuddhism.com. And now a few announcements. If you aren't signed up for the email newsletter, just go to www.dailybuddhism.com and fix that oversight right now. It's free and easier than ever to sign up. Please note that after the long absence, I threw out the old emailing list. Rather than deal with people who had forgotten about me, I decided to start over. So if you use to get the email, sign up again. It's all fresh and new. Now, if you enjoy the podcast and the website and the emails and the tweets and the Facebook posts, then don't forget to buy the book. My book, The 5-Minute Buddhist, was recently released on Amazon, Nook, iTunes, and as a paperback. It's essentially the best of the daily Buddhism. You can get it in pretty much any format you want. Just go to www.dailybuddhism.com slash book and follow the various links from there. If you've already picked up a copy, then please leave a review on whatever site you got the book from. And now let's get on with this week's show. Please note... I'm getting the podcast caught up from way, way back. The following post never made it into the last podcast in 2009. So these are topics from that time period. Over the coming weeks, I plan to record podcasts for these retro topics until we get all caught up. All these topics are still on the website, and there's no reason whatsoever why you can't leave your comments on them at any time. I'd still love to hear anything you've got to say. First up, we have a koan, right and wrong. When Bankei held his seclusion weeks of meditation, pupils from many parts of Japan came to attend. During one of these gatherings, a pupil was caught stealing. The matter was reported to Bankei with the request that the culprit be expelled. Bankei ignored the case. Later, the pupil was caught in a similar act. Again, Bankei disregarded the matter. This angered the other pupils, who drew up a petition asking for the dismissal of the thief, stating that otherwise they would leave in a body. When Benkei had read the petition, he called everyone before him. You are wise brothers, he told them. You know what is right and what is not right. You may go somewhere else to study if you wish, but this poor brother does not even know right from wrong. Who will teach him if I do not? I am going to keep him here even if all the rest of you leave. A torrent of tears cleansed the face of the brother who had stolen. All desire to steal had vanished. And now we move into depression and drugs. Question. A reader phoned in to ask, What's the Buddhist view on antidepressants? That looked on the same as alcohol? And my response is, I hate to put words into Buddha's mouth, but I suspect that this prohibition against intoxicants wasn't intended to condemn medical treatments. In a perfect world, antidepressants would not be necessary. You would have such perfect mental control that they would be redundant. In reality, that's rarely the case. People battling depression, and it is a battle, are not taking the drugs for enjoyment or pleasure. They're taking them in order to function. The fifth precept... I undertake the precept to refrain from taking intoxicants. It was not meant to harm anyone, 
but rather the point was to keep monks in line. You can't meditate and reach enlightenment if you're too drunk to sit up straight. On the other hand, you can't meditate and reach enlightenment if your depression keeps you from caring one way or the other. If it takes antidepressant medication to get you through the day, then that's just what it takes. There's no reason to judge it. There is, however, a fine line between a necessary psychological or medical treatment and fueling an addiction. An addict needs his drug, too. But, as with many things dealing with karma, intention and motives have to be considered. We have occasionally talked about addiction and recovery here in the past, so if you're not actually taking the medication under a doctor's supervision, I would look into some kind of treatment program. As always, just my opinion. There are other viewpoints on this. And now another question about mindfulness at work. A reader wrote in and asked, How does one stay mindful and calm at work? And my response, I don't know if there is any easier, quick solution to this one. In my own case, I meditate regularly. And it's my belief that causes me to be naturally more calm in everyday situations. It reduces my overall stress levels, and this in turn causes me to become less likely to explode when something unexpected or unpleasant occurs. Mindfulness at work, though, is a much harder thing to accomplish, for me at least. When I'm being mindful, everything I do is controlled and deliberate. Nothing is done out of habit or instinct. It's pure mind at work. It's also pretty rare that I actually get to do that kind of thing at that kind of place. Usually, I run around doing whatever needs to be done, acting and reacting from instinct and habit, just like everyone else. I'm sure that other readers will share their tips and tricks for staying mindful, but I suspect that it really just comes down to practice and effort. The more mindful you are, easier it'll be to be mindful. It's a definite chicken and egg type problem. Next, we have a kind of a long question from a reader. This is a general question. In studying Buddhism, we learn that attachment is undesirable. We learn that we need to recognize and remove attachments that we identify we have. Is there a point where we can become too attached to the teachings of Buddhism? For example, the Four Noble Truths, the Five Precepts, etc. In the end, does the path of enlightenment simply boil down to the Buddha's last words? Conditioned things are perishable. With vigilance, strive to succeed. Or, simply trying one best at anything, the pursuit of excellence in any field, so that one loses oneself and becomes one with the subject matter. For example, like a great concert pianist, lost in the moment of playing, is what leads to enlightenment. And my answer? Remember Buddha's life before he attained enlightenment. He was a wealthy, pampered prince, and then became an extreme ascetic, nearly starving to death. He definitely knew a thing or two about taking things to the extreme. One of his main teachings was that of the middle way, or moderation in all things. Too much of anything, even meditation and study, can be harmful. That's not to say anyone can reach enlightenment without a great deal of effort and dedication. It's not unusual to read about monks that went off into the wilderness for years of solitary meditation, nearly dying in the process. These stories are not told with too much effort being the point. Buddha himself abandoned his kingdom and family, and this is also not told with too much sacrifice being the point. 
There's a long way between what most of us do to practice Buddhism, the extreme. That being said, there comes a point where dedication to anything can become an obsession. This is not. It can damage your relationships, job, family, and so forth. Whether or not this is acceptable is entirely up to you. Most of us don't go that far, but some do. They're the monks who dedicate their lives to reaching enlightenment. That's an admirable goal. I applaud and envy these monks. Yet for most of us, we must remember the middle path and avoid the extremes. And now it's time to clear up a little misunderstanding. The title of this article was Sin and Skepticism in Buddhism. And a reader wrote in that, Last night I was listening to the Skeptoid podcast, which examines various things from a skeptic's perspective. The host was discussing sin and mentioned that being skeptical was a sin in Buddhism. Your podcasts have led me to think otherwise. Was the host misinformed? Please elaborate. Thanks. And my answer. I listen to a couple of skeptic podcasts as well. My own personal preference is the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. I didn't hear the episode of Skeptoid in question, but yes, I would guess that the speaker probably was just misinformed about Buddhism. They can't be experts in everything. Generally, I agree with the skeptic's views on religion, but I think in this case he was either looking at some specific sect of Buddhism or was just plain wrong. Most, if not all, sects of Buddhism encourage open-minded thought and debate. Some are more open to modern science and thinking than others, but I'm not aware of any group that would consider doubt a form of sin. There is a reason many people, although once again not everyone, prefer to call Buddhism a philosophy rather than a religion, and open-mindedness is a really big part of that. If any of the daily Buddhism readers out there are familiar with a case where skepticism or critical thinking was discouraged in Buddhism, please post a comment. I'm sure it happens, but it's definitely not the general rule. And now one final question before we wrap this episode up. A reader writes in, Hello, I love the podcast and hope more come out soon. Anyway, I have a question. Is it legitimate to follow another religion and use Buddhism as a philosophy? Thank you and all blessings be. And my response, absolutely. People do it all the time. People follow Christianity or Judaism, for example, and still practice all the non-religious aspects of Buddhism as well. Since Buddhism doesn't generally involve God or prayers, there's no reason at all that one cannot simply add Buddhism as another layer to one's own foundational belief system. Many Christians practice Buddhism on the side, and so many Jews do it, they actually came up with a term for it. Jubu, Jewish Buddhism. Depending on your specific local church and how well they understand what Buddhism is really all about, your specific church may or may not support this. From the wording of your question, however, I suspect that you are not coming from a Judeo-Christian background. I suspect it may be even easier to fit Buddhism into one of the less dogmatic religions, such as Wicca. If anyone would like to share their personal story on making Buddhism mesh with their pre-existing belief system, I'd love to hear it. And that's all I have for you this week. The Daily Buddhism runs primarily from your donations, and it's easy to help out. Just go to www.dailybuddhism.com donate and click on one of the options there. 
You can donate as little as a dollar or as much as you want. Keep in mind that the Daily Buddhism daily email letter is completely free, and all you need to do is go to the site and sign up. Also, if you have a question on any Buddhism-related topic, send in your questions by email at dailybuddhism at gmail.com. And I'll see you next week.